Well, today's another show with Wake Up With KC. And today I have a very special guest and who's also a mentor of mine that really got me thinking outside the box. Plus, I had the same questions as he did. And I read an amazing life transformational book of his three times and listened to the audio, which is mind-blowing amazing. And now he's published a new book back in December 2020, The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love. Please welcome Neil Donald Wash, who joins us today. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. It's truly an honor and pleasure. Well, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for the invitation. How may uh, I serve you? Well, what inspired you? You've written over what, 36, 39 books already? And yes, you have a website, you have programs. And, you know, the the conversation with God was a, a dialogue of a communication that you were having with God. And that was an amazing, inspirational, personal, and enlightful book. And I, I'm so proud of you for taking the courage to do what you did. And then all of a sudden, the God solution comes out. What inspired you to write that book? Well, you know, uh, first of all, just so everyone understands, the God solution is not a dialogue book. It's a first person narrative summary uh, of the messages that have been given to me in the dialogue books. I consider it really the, the culmination of the work. What inspired me to write it, what caused me to write it, uh, was frankly the past two years. Uh, I realized that with uh, all that's been going on in the world for the past 24 months or so, of course, the pandemic, the economic challenges that have been faced by many people because of it, as well as other social and economic trends uh, and events that have been occurring. Uh, the, the, the racial um, challenges that we've been uh, just, uh, observing all around the world, um, some of the uh, climate and economic challenges as well. So I see, I see that uh, our, our planet is really moving into and moving through a period of deep challenge. And I began hearing uh, from people uh, who had maybe read or heard about the Conversations with God books, and many of them were asking the same kinds of questions. They were asking me, Neil, I know you believe in God. I know you think that you had a conversation with God, but let me ask you a question. If God really exists, why is the world in such a mess? Why are we constantly facing one challenge after another, and not just for the past 24 months, but for the past 24 centuries. You know, for, for, and, and really, to be truthful, from the beginning of human experience on this planet, from the beginning of our time here, it's been a struggle. It's been a constant, constant struggle. And if there really is a God, why? Why doesn't God just, you know, come down and fix things? And I thought that was a very fair question. So I wound up giving myself permission, even though I didn't feel that I you know, should be writing any more books. I had written 38 up till that time. I thought, you know, I'm going to just try to answer that question directly and simply and quickly. So I did produce a 39th book, very thin. It's a very thin book. You can read it you know, in a, on a Sunday afternoon. It doesn't take two or three weeks to read. Uh, but... Uh, I thought I would try to see if I could capture for myself, frankly, and for people who would read the book, the answer to that question. You know, if there really is a God, what's the problem here? What is it we don't understand? Why, why can't, why doesn't God come down and fix everything? So I sought to answer that question in the book, The God Solution, because this is the God dilemma. The God dilemma is, why doesn't God just fix everything? And the God solution is the answer to that question. It offers uh, the explanation of my understanding of why God 
doesn't just come right down here and change everything for the better. And it also offers a way that we can do that, that we can change almost every human created condition on the planet that is challenging us. I'm not talking about asteroids that might come in from outer space or, uh, you know, certain uh, geological global developments, you know, earthquakes or tornadoes and, you know, those kinds of events. But I'm talking about man-made created events that, that have produced, in, in some cases, some of those, even some of those geological occurrences. So, you know, what do we need to change in the way we're approaching life uh, on this planet? And what is it that we don't really understand? The understanding of which would alter our entire life experience. So that's why, to answer your question, why I wrote The God Solution, because I really felt that the dilemmas that we're facing deserve a solution. Simple, direct, concise, and usable. And that's why I wrote The God Solution. And I have listened to it. For some reason, I'm into the, the audio books now. And amazing. I love hearing your voice. And you mentioned um, some aspects about religion. And, you know, the to me, I'm about the limited beliefs, the mental programmings, even the emotional energetic traumas that have been passed down that I feel like we're repeating history. It's just different time period, different era, different decade, different century, because the outfits keep changing, the hairs keeps changing, but it's the same drama, same emotional stuff going on. And I'm like, this does not make sense. Why are we repeating history over and over again? I think that we are, in fact, and I, by the way, I agree with you. Anyone who looks at it objectively would have to agree with you. We are repeating history over and over again. And I think that the reason that we keep on making the same uh, mistakes, creating the same conditions, is that we are not paying attention to or aware of our reason for living, the, the, the true reason for life itself, to say nothing of our personal identity, I think that we are, in, in the main, utterly ignoring who we really are. And um, I think as well, and this is a crucial part of my answer to your question, I think we are as well completely misunderstanding God and totally misunderstanding God's intention, God's purpose, God's vision, if you will, and God's method of interacting with life that God has created. I think I think that we are modeling, and here, here's the deal. Most people, you know, who be, believe in God, oh, and by the way, that's about eight out of 10 people. I don't know whether all of our viewers are aware of that, but surveys have been taken by sociologists over the past five years all over the world, not just in one country or two countries, but in virtually every culture on the planet. And because they really wanted to be complete and concise. And they asked a simple question. Do you believe in a higher power? God or whatever you want to call it. But do you believe in some sort of higher power? And the answer came back in a startling way. It turned out that 8.5 of every 10 people that they asked statistically said yes, yeah, we, we believe that there's something more going on here than meets the eye. There is a higher power. Some people call it God, Yahweh, Jehovah, you know, Brahman, you know, Allah, what, whatever word you want to use, but there is a higher power uh, in the universe. And most people agree that the higher power, in fact, created the universe and everything in it. Now, what's crucial about that, what's really critical about that, is the fact that if we really believe there is a higher power, and 80% of us do, then we wind up modeling our behaviors after the higher power's behaviors because we, we want to please God. 
at least most people who believe in God, think that we would be better off pleasing God than displeasing God. So why don't we behave with each other the way God behaves with us? Now, why that becomes critical is that most of us believe that how God behaves with us is that God loves us. But that part of the way God loves us is that if God finds that we have not done what God wants, what God requires, indeed what God demands, is that God will judge us and condemn us and punish us with everlasting damnation. Now, because we believe this is the nature of love, though this is what this this is what love is about. Love is is not just about you know, being sweet and kind and nice, but love is also about judging, condemning, and punishing. And because we believe that that's how God behaves, we've decided to behave in exactly the same way. The result: we interact with each other not just individually, not just one-on-one, -on -one, which is important, of course, but even more critically, as groups. We have formed little groups and large groups. We call them nations or organizations or political parties. And, and we have decided to interact with each other in the same way that we think that God interacts with us. And so we even have chiefs of state, I mean, presidents of countries, and primaries and, 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 and other chiefs of state talking to each other the way we believe that God talks to us. You better do what I want, because if you don't do what I demand, I will punish you. Oh, and by the way, my missiles are bigger than your missiles, and my bombs are bigger than your bombs, and my weapons are more deadly than your weapons. And so, we behave with each other in a way that creates crisis after crisis after crisis. And we're going through another crisis right now on the planet, another political crisis, even on this very day that we're making this program available. So that's what we've been doing with each other for centuries, not, not centuries, actually, for millennia, for yeah. thousands, for thousands and thousands of years. Well, and we've been ignoring the things that we could do that could make life better for us on the planet, not the least of which is to take better care of our environment. And we've decided that, you know, all this talk about the climate crisis, it's nonsense. It's not really happening. And even if a little bit of it is happening, it's not our fault. It's nothing we can do about it. You know, we, we take this incredible attitude about, about what we're doing and not doing on the planet and we have refused to be self-supporting and to use the gifts that God has given us to create a different kind of life on this planet. Now, let me, if I could, please, uh, Casey, let me just go back just for a second to the first question. Why doesn't God just come right down and make anything better? Which is an important question. And the answer that I have understood from my conversations with God is that it was not God's intention, it is not God's desire to create a species of minions, of, of you know, servants, if you please, who merely have to do what God says, and, and then God will come down and make everything better for us. It was, in fact, God's desire to create a species of sentient beings, and we're not the only ones, by the way, in the universe, obviously. We are not the only intelligent species in the universe. There are intelligent beings everywhere in the cosmos. But it was God's intention to create intelligent beings in order for God to experience itself in, as, and through us. And in order for that to occur, God would have to give us the ability to create our own reality. Not to simply have some huge being in the sky come down and create our reality for us, but in fact, for us to create our own reality, to produce the life that we choose to experience on this planet. And we think we have no power to do that. We think this is totally out of our control. So we're like, we, we feel like victims. In fact, and some days we feel like the heroes. So we, we've allowed ourselves to play the role of the heroes and the victims 
in our own story. And the God solution is for us to change our idea of who and what God is, of who and what God wants, of who and what we are, and of what we can do to alter the way we are creating our own reality on the planet. And in a couple of sentences, that's what the book, The God Solution, is all about. And I'm so glad that you brought up something that I, I've been wanting to ask you. You just mentioned about other highly evolved beings. So here's a thought and an idea and from studying research about ancient civilization and the Anunnaki. Those were the ones in the beginning from my understanding and reading and researching that came from above the skies and onto earth and helped create species and primitive workers to help them. And then they were in those times, I mean, we're talking about 90,000 years, 450,000 years. I'm like trying to vision like, well, what was it like back then? Then if you see something like this, like in today's world, I'm seeing flying saucers. I'm seeing, you know, all these evidence of other UFO sightings and, you know, connecting with these beings. You want to call them aliens, whatever. What if they were back in those times, helped create us, and then they were considered gods? And now we have a false identity of a god based what was interpreted, transcribed, edited, and put in books for us to read and believe in. Would that be safe to say? Well, I understand that's your belief. I'm not necessarily sure that I buy into every single solitary word you said. And I invite people not to believe or buy into every single solitary word that I say. So the, the, the issue is not whether your understanding is precisely accurate mm -hmm. down to the last detail, nor is the question whether my idea and the conversation I have with God is precisely accurate in every last detail. So when you ask me a question like that, I'm going to say, oh, well, I hear you, and I understand that you, you believe that, and it could be true. It could very well be true. Or there could be some details that are not exactly precisely correct, but that isn't the issue. The real issue is not, are there aliens from outer space that came here and seeded the planet thousands of years ago? That's not the question. No, the question, the, the question before the house right. is, the question before the house is, what, if anything, can we do to now alter life on our planet in such a way that we can meet the promise of who we truly are and produce a life for our children and our grandchildren that we would love them to experience rather than what they are now inheriting, which could be a world in deep psychological, physical, and environmental trouble? That's the real question. Right. And you mentioned about love and, and briefly touching base on, on what I asked before. It's, you know, to me, it just makes common sense. Well, then no wonder everyone's believing in this false, like out of man God that's going to punish and judge and all of this based on what we read. What if that's all really wrong, misinterpreted based on those times? And then I'm like, there's certain parts that does talk about love. And I'm like, well, love one another. Well, how can you love one another if you don't even know what love is? I think that you're right about that. And that is, in fact, one of the central points that, that uh, um, you'll find in the God solution. Most people don't really know or don't really understand what love is. I'm talking about pure love. And so what I've invited people to do is to redefine God. That's mm -hmm. the invitation that I've placed between the covers of uh, the book titled The God's Solution, and that we would redefine God into simple words, pure love. What if we decide that God, in fact, was nothing more and nothing less than pure love? 
you know, that's a theologically, I don't know whether people realize it, but that's a theologically revolutionary idea. Now, when I offer this idea in front of audiences, somebody inevitably stands up in the back of the room. You know, there's a doubting Thomas, and there should be, by the way, there should be mm-hmm. a, a doubting Thomas in the back of the room who will say, oh, Neil, Neil, are you telling me that I sat here for the past 20 minutes listening to you, that your revolutionary new idea is that God is love? I waited for this? We all know that God is love. Everybody, even every religion on the earth agrees that God is love. And I have to stop that man in the back of the room and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't say that God is love. You didn't hear me say that. What I said is that God is pure love. Now, my friend in the back of the room will then say, okay, okay, what's the difference? And then I will say, the difference is that pure love needs nothing, expects nothing, requires nothing, and certainly demands nothing in return. That's how you can know whether you are purely loved and whether you are purely loving another. How many of us can say that that's exactly how we feel toward other people? To say nothing of the person who may be sharing the same bed with us. Can we say that we truly love that person across the pillow in a way where we say to them, you know what? I need nothing in particular from you in order to love you. I expect nothing, I require nothing, and I certainly demand nothing from you because I'm not loving you to see what I can get in return. If I'm loving you in order to get something in return, then I'm simply loving me, using you as a vehicle through which I can experience myself being loved. But if I love you simply because of who you are, because I see the magnificence, the wonder, and the glory of you, then I need nothing in return from you, which is exactly the way God loves us and exactly what God says to us. I see the wonder and the glory of who you are because I created you that way. The fact that you're not using the wonder and the glory that I invested in you with which you are imbued naturally as a result of who you are, the fact that you are not using that aspect of yourself is something that you may want to look at very closely and maybe reconsider to see if there might be more of you than you may imagine yourself to be. And so I think this is the part of us that does not really truly understand who and what we are, our true definition of self. So I'm gonna offer something else, which I also express in the God solution. What if God was pure love? What if also we were pure love? That is, what if we were simply and wondrously individuations of divinity and simply haven't allowed ourselves to behave in that way? But is it arrogant? Is it spiritually even blasphemous for us to consider ourselves to be individuations of divinity? You know what's fascinating about that question? Every religion on the face of the earth tells us we are made in the image and likeness of God. And yet, God, if we, plural. And yet if we embrace that notion and accept that as our truth, some people would say that we are blasphemers, that we are committing apostasy, that we are committing heresy, that we are spiritually arrogant beyond belief to imagine that we are individuations of divinity. But in fact, that is precisely who and what we are. But the reason that it doesn't feel like that's who and what we are, the reason that it feels to other people that we may be even blaspheming by declaring it is because we clearly are not acting that way. So what would it take for us to in fact behave in that way? To behave as if we were to behave as if we were individuations of divinity. Well, first, we'd have to believe it, accept it, and embrace it as the truth of who we are. 
as the truth of what God is, and then we would have to step into the demonstration of that, demonstrating it, demonstrating it in everything that we think and say and do. Now, is that too big of an order? Some people have said to me when I get to this part of my little talk, they've said to me, well, you're asking a lot. I mean, how many people can really behave that way? And in fact, the answer is all of us. And you know what's fascinating? All of us have behaved in that way at certain times in our life and with certain people in our life. We've all had moments when we have demonstrated divine nature, demonstrated pure love. So it's not a matter of us being incapable of doing that. It's just a matter of our decision to do it with more people, frankly, with all people, all of the time. And what it would take for us to do that is a simple decision about why we are here on earth to begin with. Oh, I thought I was here to serve my own agenda. But here's the important message that God delivered to me in conversations with God. I've been asked, by the way, by every interviewer from every major network and every major publication on the planet over the past 25 years. Neil, what's the single most important message that you feel you've received in your conversations with God? And I, I tell them immediately because I've, I've identified it a quarter of a century ago. The single most important message of conversations with God is this. You're not here having anything to do with you. Your life is not about you. Your life is about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. But when you embrace that notion, you discover that in the largest sense, in the universal sense, your life is about you. But it's about universal you, not little you, not what Barbara Marx Hubbard would, would have called local you, but it's about the universal you that you really are. And so when you move through your life in a way that allows you to express and to experience and to demonstrate that your life is about everyone whose life you touch, suddenly you experience life in a brand new way. And not incidentally, suddenly you change the lives of those whose lives you touch. And that's the way we create a newer world. And when we look back at the lives of people who have done so, whether we're talking about Mother Teresa or Buddha or other people, both male and female through the centuries who have behaved in exactly the way I've just described, when we look back on those people, we call them masters, we call them gurus, we even call them saviors because they've saved us from our smallest thought about ourselves. And if we chose to live in the way they lived, we would save not only ourselves from our own smallest thought, but the world itself. And we would give to our children and to our grandchildren the heaven on earth of which we have long dreamed. You know, Casey, I could be wrong about all of that. Well, in your book, you um, you asked the question, you know, if you were to create a religion, you know, what would that be like and whatnot? And I'm like, well, why create a religion? Why not a way of life? Well, because people and I don't say if you were meaning me in the right. book, I asked the, in the book, I asked the reader, dear reader, if you were to create your own religion what would you have people understand and believe? How would you have people behave? Why bother creating a religion? Well, because in the minds of most people, the word religion and a way of life are the same. So a belief, of, I'm sorry, a religion is simply a belief system because what we believe, in fact, creates how we behave. It's, it's really quite simple. Belief creates behavior. All behavior 
emerges from some belief that we hold. Simple behaviors, like if I scratch my head, I, I do that because I believe that doing so will relieve the itch on my scalp. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother doing it. So when we are clear that our behaviors are created by our beliefs, that's why we would create what I simply call a religion, or if you please, a belief system on the planet. So if it pleases you, I could rephrase the question. If you could create your own belief system, what would you have people embrace as their understanding of who we are, why we're here, and what we can do with and for each other to create the life of our highest dreams? And I challenge the reader to answer that question in the book. What would you have us believe? Would you have us believe that I have a good idea? How about if we believe that killing people on purpose, intentionally, in fact, by the government, but the government deliberately killing people would be the way to convince people that killing people is not okay. We call that the death penalty. Oh, wait, wait, I've got an idea. What if we decide to believe that if you are deeply in love with a person of the same gender, you're going to hell. Yeah, there's a good idea. Let's, let's believe that. No, I've, I've got an idea. What if we believe that if we even do so much as make a wedding cake for people of the same gender who want to live the rest of their lives together, that that's a violation of God's highest command? That there's a good idea. That, that's a way that that can really help us get along as a species as people yeah, yeah why didn't i think of that well why don't i i've got an idea why don't i believe that if i don't go to the right church every sunday not if i be, believe in god but I, believing in god is not enough i have to believe in god in a certain way according to a certain doctrine and if I don't embrace that particular doctrine, I'm going to hell immediately upon my death. Yeah, why don't I believe that? There's a good idea. Let's believe that. Then we can kill each other in wars. More wars, of course, have been started on this planet because of our beliefs and differences in our beliefs about God than for any other reason. So, but there's a good idea. Yeah, let's believe that God does exist but accepts us into his kingdom or maybe her kingdom <gasps> did he say her oh my god we all know that god has a penis god can't possibly be a, a female oh my god neil what's the matter with you wake up but what if we decided that in our new belief system god is simply pure love not one gender, not another gender. And what if we decided that Einstein, Professor Einstein, one of the greatest minds in the human experience, was right when he said, you can't use as a solution to your problem the same energy that created it. You're not going to stop killing by killing. You're not going to bring an end to anger by anger. You can't solve the problem by using the same energy that created it, which, by the way, has been evidenced in states of the United States that use the death penalty. Murder and killing is at a higher rate than in states that do not. Isn't that interesting? Because we keep trying to use the same energy that created the problem to solve the problem. And we don't see the contradiction. Mm. Wow. Wow. How simple could this be? Just, excuse me, folks, stop it. Just stop behaving like seven-year-olds and begin behaving like the advanced beings that we tell ourselves that we are. How about proving it? 
by our behaviors. Well, why not go inwards? Go within. That's just, that's one of our behaviors that we could use. Yes. And ask a question, even question some of your beliefs. I mean, okay. that's how my spiritual awakening journey began. As I really started questioning. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Excuse me. We can't question our beliefs. No, no, no. We don't dare question our beliefs. That that would undermine everything that I've been doing for the past fifty years. No, no, no. I, I can't question our beliefs. No. I, what, what I believe is true. God will. By the way, God will punish me if if I do not hold true to my beliefs in a violent, angry, and vindictive deity. So no, I don't, don't ask me. Don't ask me to to question my beliefs. Even questioning is not okay. Forget about changing my beliefs. I shouldn't even question my beliefs. You know, in some religions, even asking questions about whether something could be true is considered punishable. Mm -hmm. It still goes on today. So, you know, we have to really ask ourselves a probing question. Is it possible? just possible that there's something we don't fully understand here about God and about life and about ourselves. The understanding of which would change everything. To me, Casey, the answer seems obviously to be yes. I think there's something we don't fully understand. And if we can be humble enough to acknowledge that possibility, we've taken the first step to the God solution. And I love the way you put in the um, the self-consciousness, the energy, and the awareness of itself. Can you elaborate on that and share it with the audience? I think it's about embracing a different way of understanding that encompasses a larger consciousness. You know, our, our state of consciousness, that is what we consciously accept and embrace as true about us and about life, our state of consciousness produces our awareness. And our awareness, that is what we are aware of, consciously, produces our perspective on life. And our perspective produces our perception. That is, the place from which we are looking, our perspective, produces what we see. We see what we are able to see based on the perspective that we hold. And our perception creates our belief. Seeing is believing. And our belief, in fact, creates our behavior. And our behavior creates our experience. And our experience creates our reality. So there's the through line, folks. From consciousness up here, to awareness, to perspective, to perception, to belief, to behavior, to experience, and to our present reality. Now, if you want your present reality to shift and change, all we have to do is change our perspective by raising our consciousness and by expanding our awareness. But you know, we're not allowed to do that in the area of our beliefs about God, at least not in many quarters on this planet, not in many places. We can do it elsewhere. You know, you know, we're allowed to do, to do that in, in, in medicine, in science, in technology, in virtually every other area of human experience. 
we are expected to ask the key questions to and to question what we imagine ourselves to understand, that process is what produced incredible scientific advances, incredible technological inventions, incredible, incredible medical miracles have been produced by us refusing to stay where we are and asking the important questions and doubting even the answers that we imagine ourselves to have found. But in the most critical area of life, in our beliefs, we're not allowed to question the prior assumption. No questioning the prior assumption. You will live with and abide by the assumptions that your species made thousands of years ago. If we did that in medicine, science, and technology, we would have made no advances whatsoever. But we have refused to allow ourselves to question the prior assumption in the area of our theologies. And that's what has caused us to continue to behaving. No matter what technological or medical advances we've made, continue behaving as primitives. And our behaviors are primitive. We literally kill each other to convince each other to stop killing each other. Doesn't make sense. I think you froze up, Neil. Are you there? Ah, there you go. He froze up a little. Can you hear me? Isn't that fascinating? Well, in, like, I've had some, I guess, spiritual experiences. So you can't just explain it. Wait, wait a minute. Are you trying to say that you have had spiritual experience, even though you're a woman? Uh, yeah. women, can't, women can't even be priests in certain faith traditions. Women for thousands of years could not be rabbis. How dare you suggest that you have had spiritual experiences when you're a woman. Wow. All right, I'm going to I'm going to accept it just for the purposes of our interview. Go ahead. Well, I experienced it, it the best way I could describe it to understand of it's like a euphoric ecstasy, a bliss, uh felt alive and just joy and it's like all this emotion and feeling all wrapped up in one to be honest neil it's like almost orgasmic and i was just in awe i was just like it took my breath away and I'm just in awe over it. and I was like wow like so this is what you're talking about this is what love feels like it was already in me just waiting for it to come out and to experience it in such a way that it forever changed my perspective. And I'm like, why doesn't everybody else get this? You know? <laughs> well, you know what, my dear, to, to, to no longer be joking. I know that people understand I was joking with you a minute ago yeah. and just, and just having fun with you, having fun with human belief systems, but to end the joking and to get serious for a moment, the fact is that many people do experience this but they deny their experience. They call it something else. They, they, and so they, they, because they're literally afraid to call it what it really is. The bliss of our divinity internally experienced and then externally expressed. And so not only do they deny the experience in themselves, if someone else 
dares to suggest that they are experiencing it, we crucify them one way or another. Not just on the cross, but we crucify them in whatever way is available to us. We tell them, how dare you? How dare you tell me that you're feeling that indescribable feeling? No, you just had a, you know, it's just a momentary, you know, whatever. Try to write it off because we have been trained, Casey, by our culture to dismiss or minimalize the kinds of experiences that you are talking about. We've literally been trained by our culture to dismiss or minimalize those experiences rather than to enlarge and thus to enhance those experiences and allow ourselves to repeat them until they become a regular part of our day-to-day -day expression of who we really are. And so people go around asking, who do you think you are? Or as they said to one man a few thousand years ago, by whose authority are you acting like this? By whose authority are you acting like this? And who do you think you are running around saying stuff like that? Because he dared to say stuff like love, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and do good to those who would do you evil. And when a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. And when someone asks you for your coat, give him your shirt as well. And when someone asks you if you could walk one mile with him, go with him too. And raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness that you might know who you really are and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. Wow. Walk around saying stuff like that? And you're going to be minimalized at least, if not verbally and maybe even physically in many ways crucified. And yet, what we are being invited to do in this day and age on our planet is precisely that. That is, to walk around living those ideas and stepping into the demonstration of them and repeating them as well to all those whose lives we touch. I have a tool that I invite people to use. It's a tool that I suggest that people might find transformative in their lives. Here's the tool. I suggest that people think in their mind, don't, now don't say it out loud, don't, don't say it out loud because very few other people will understand. But allow yourself to think it in your mind, to hold it in your mind, to embrace it in your heart and your mind and your soul. To embrace and think this thought the first time you encounter anybody on any given day. Maybe it's the first time that you happen to lay your eyes upon the person on the other pillow. Or maybe it's the person in the other room. Or maybe it's the person in the house across the street the neighbor that you haven't seen that day yet. Or maybe it's the person across town that you're seeing for the first time. I invite people when they see anybody for the first time in any given day to think this thought. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Your life 
will be made better today for my having passed through it. I promise you. Wow. That's like speechless. And do, do you, like, here's a thought and an idea that I had. If we could change our mindsets, how we think and how we feel and how we act and behave, it creates an energy because emotion is energy emotion in a positive, more positive way, you know, starting, you know, the little acts of kindness and smiling and you know, getting along with others. Do you think that it could also change the earth too for the better? Because we're connected to it energetically, frequency and vibration. No, it would do nothing for anybody. Nobody would change, nothing would be altered. And it's, it's not even a good idea. I think you should just throw the idea out. I love to give unexpected answers to questions, the answer to which is obvious at the beginning. So now let me give you the obvious answer to your obvious question. Of course. Of course. Of course I think it would change the world. Of course. I've written 39 books telling us that. I'm like, but I'm like having aha God realization moments. I'm like, yeah, because we're connected to all things and this divine source energy, God, Tao, whatever you want to call it, and the planet and the stars and the moon. It's like, we're all connected to all this. Why doesn't everybody else get this? What we do to each other, we're doing to the planet too. Yeah, of course, but, but everyone else. Uh, many, many, most other people cannot believe it for a very interesting uh, a reason. It's too good to be true. Ah. And, and, and so we find it difficult to believe. And we find it difficult to believe that we are all one, that we're all united. We even have a word for it. It's in a certain uh, thought systems, it's become kind of a dirty word. We call it pantheistic. Oh, he believes in pantheism. Oh, pantheism being, of course, the idea that everything is one thing, that we're all one. Oh. Even though, and that we're one with God, and that God is one with us. But the first words that I received, the very first words spoken to me as I got into the dialogue in conversations with God were very direct. Neil. All things are one thing. There is only one thing. And all things are part of the one thing there is. And the biggest challenge, now I'm speaking in my own voice now. I'm saying that the biggest challenge that humanity faces and has faced for thousands of years is the idea of separation. It is the single most destructive notion that our species has ever embraced. The notion of separation, that I'm separated from you, I'm separated from the world, from the environment, I'm certainly separated from God. I mean, God's up there and I'm down here. And I'm separated even in some strange ways from myself. I can't even embrace the wholeness of who I am within me. So separation is a condition of life. That is the prevailing cultural notion on the planet. We believe in a separation theology, which has created a separation cosmology, which has created a separation psychology, which has created a separation sociology, which has created a separation pathology. Pathological behaviors of self-destruction evidenced on this planet from the beginning of time. How do we change all of that? abandon our idea of separation and embrace the notion that in fact we are all one 
that what I do for you, I do for me. And that what I fail to do for me, I fail to do for you. It's really quite as simple as that. I could, of course, be wrong about all of this. But I don't think so. Wow. That's a a good philosophy and a, and a great idea. And why not? What do we have to lose? We've been losing the in the old way. Why not a new way? That's good better question. for all. I agree. Why not? And can I ask Mr. Santa Claus, because I see your thing down there that says Santa Claus on it. I love giving surprises. Do you? No, I hate giving surprises. It's the worst part of my life. It's never joyful, never fun, and I hate it. <laughs> I love you, Neil. You are a trip. <laughs> well, I know somebody that um, it was a guest on my show, and we just connected, and we talked about metaphysics. And you mentioned that in The God Solution. And he's a big fan of yours, and he was telling me about your book, the you know conversations with God, and we got into it a little bit. And he goes, that book changed my whole life. I was like, yes, it changed my perspective too. It actually got me thinking even more out of the box, and I had the same questions as he did too. <laughs> so it was a wonderful conversation with him, and. Would you like to do me a favor? Can we surprise him if I call him and you can say hi to him? Sure. Awesome. I'm going to call him right now. He's going to be, I'm going to make his, you're, we're going to make his day because he has no idea what's happening. <laughs> I love doing this, don't you? It's so much fun. I hate it. Bill, you better answer your phone. No, you'll get a message. Hello. Hey, Will. How are how you are doing? You? Good. How are you doing, Casey? Well, I have someone that wants to say hi to you. And uh, I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, Will. This is Santa Claus. And I just wanted you to know that um, I think you're a really nice person. You've been a good boy. And uh, this coming Christmas, which is, I know, a long way off because we're just starting a new year, but uh, I am going to put some something. Uh, you won't get all the same cold as you've been getting in your stocking since you were seven. Uh, this year, I'm going to finally bring you something really nice. I might even bring you a copy. I might even give you a copy of, of, of my book. Oh, I, I, I signed it under a pseudonym. I didn't sign it as Santa Claus. I signed it as Neil Donald Walsh. Uh, but. Wow. <laughs> I can't even tell you how much this means to me. <laughs> is, 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 it, is it really you or is it a recording? I couldn't really tell. No, it's not a recording. Oh my gosh, Mr. Walsh, I can't even tell you what you and your book have meant for me. Uh, you literally, literally changed my life completely. Well, Will, I'm glad, you know, all kidding aside, I'm glad. I'm glad. To know that, I'm humbly grateful that that is what's happened. You know, Will, I want you to be clear about something. Uh, I didn't do this. I simply took dictation. I simply asked the questions that all of us have asked through the years. But I was, uh, I'll, I'll give myself this credit. I was smart enough to take dictation and to keep a record of, of the answers that I was receiving. Uh, and then, uh, on a whim, I sent it to a publisher because I was told that I would, I would. I was told in the dialogue, you will make up this one day a book and it will be accessed by many people. And I'll tell you something, Will. I thought, now there's a way for me to measure whether what I'm experiencing is true or not, because I knew there wasn't a chance in the world. I mean, there wasn't one chance in a million that an actual legitimate publisher, I'm not talking about self-publishing where you pay to have a book published. I'm talking about a publishing 
by a company that makes living, makes a living, makes you know, makes their profit from from publishing books. And I didn't think there was a chance in the world that anyone would do such a thing. You know, I imagine I could just so, but I thought here's a way to measure because this, you know, what will this was the first statement I had received in my dialogue that was measurable. <clears throat> it was a measurable outcome. All the rest that I was hearing was, you know, conceptual, theoretical in nature, could be, could not be, who would know? But now here was a statement of fact. You will make of this a book and it will be accessed by many people. And I understood that there's not a publisher in the world, Will, who's going to put this book out. I could just see the, I could just see the publisher racing out to the workroom floor saying to his editors, hold the presses, stop everything. I got a guy here who's talking to God. It's not, right. it's not, not going to happen. I mean, I, I can imagine the kind of reception you got was perhaps the, the complete opposite. Who is this guy who is giving us this blasphemy? He's talking to God. But you know, the, the, the first publisher I sent it to is a small, small publishing house. But they put out about, you know, 30, maybe 25, 30 books a year, not hundreds. But they, they liked it and they put it out. And the rest, as they say, is publishing history. And, and that's how I realized, you know, what had happened here. But I want you to be clear that I'm, I'm taking no credit uh, for any of the messages that you tell me changed your life. I'm deeply grateful, simply humbly grateful to have been allowed to be part of the process of bringing these messages to others. And I understand that completely and appreciate what you're saying. At the same time, you were brave enough to do the dictation and bring it, send it to a publisher. And it was your actions. You're being open enough. I know that you were frustrated and that's why you started talking to God, but um, you had the bravery, the courage to put it out there. And that courage has inspired millions of people out here, me including uh, included. And I mean, I, I, we talk about your book almost regularly on, on our show um, because you were so, so influential in, in honestly, literally turning my life around from, from where I was, which was, which was an absolute mess. And uh, it, it, the reason I started the show, actually, is because I was looking for a show that went into conversations with God and actually talked about the concepts in it, and I couldn't find anything. So the, the original concept was to talk about that, but then I didn't feel comfortable doing that because they're not my words. So um, I, I, I'll say it again. I'm unbelievably amazed and humbled that I'm having an opportunity to, to talk to you because, yes, maybe it wasn't your words, but, but you are the vehicle that the words that changed my life came through. So I, I'm so appreciative you took the time to call me and and talk to me uh i can't tell you when you say santa claus you, you're not far from the truth that's exactly how it feels right now uh, i don't think i need anything else for christmas this year <laughs> well thank you will for those very sweet and kind words and uh, i'm glad that you've had the experience that you've had in a positive way yeah. well and I, and I thank you for everything so and casey thanks so much for making a connection i really appreciate it this is uh this has, this has been wonderful Oh, you're so welcome. And I love giving surprises to good people that I care about and love connecting with. So there you go. All right. I'll talk well, to you later, Will. Okay. Take care, Casey. And uh, Mr. Walsh, thanks Thanks again. And if you ever feel like coming on another show, uh, we'd love to have you. <laughs> Just putting it out there. <laughs> Thank you, Will. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much, Neil. That was that's the greatest joy of just expressing and expanding. This is to me love. Just what we just had right here, right now. And thank you for that experience. You're very welcome, my friend. Thank you for the opportunity to share this time with you. I've enjoyed it immensely. Me too. Mwah. And wait, Neil, do you have anything... Um, I listed the, the links for your book so people uh, can go in and get access to it and purchase it. But do you have any events coming on, any talks or whatnot that you'd like to share with the audience? I'm always, I'm always doing events and talks, and I don't really need to plug them. Uh, honestly, I don't. 
If anyone okay. wants to know more about all they have to do is go to my website. Neil and that's Donald listed Clark. down below too. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Neil. And mwah, best of success and love you and wish you the best. Thank you, my friend. Bye for now. Bye. Well, there you go. You never know who I'm going to have on this show. I hope this was helpful, insightful, educational, inspirational, and go check out the God Solution. Together, we can make a difference. Just one step at a time. Take courage. Read his book, I'm telling you, or listen to it. It's awesome. It's mind-blowing, amazing, and it gets you to think outside the box. So until then, stay tuned to Wake Up With Casey.